The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you with me. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is my home base. Before we get into today's program, let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. If you're not familiar with them, Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation. They are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. I appreciate their partnership. We're both trying to help people connect with the work they want. That's where it's at for me. This week, our conversation is with Brandon Cumby, who I came across thanks to our mutual friend, Jorge Nami. Thank you, Jorge. He was out looking for ways to align himself with strong community service initiatives because he's a philanthropist. And when I heard his background and story, I just had to have him on the show and share it with you. I think you'll know what I mean when we get into it. Today, Brandon is a consultant, speaker, running coach, and philanthropist. Uh, What got him in today's role began with a horrible accident when he was electrocuted and not expected to survive. We'll talk in detail about his accident and how it shaped who he is today and the work he's doing. Brandon, it's wonderful to have you with me. Welcome to Working on Purpose. Uh, Thank you, Elise. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, connecting with your listeners. I got a few things I want to take you through, and I thought it might make sense for us to focus the first part here a little bit on your current world. And then after the break, we'll talk about the actual accident and what that was like. Um, so before we get into that actual accident piece of it today, um, you're a consultant, you're a speaker, you're a running coach, you're a philanthropist. Can you tell us a little bit about each one of those roles? What do you first consult on? Um, sure. So I think we'll probably get into my background a little bit deeper, but um, I just consult on general business issues and it's sort of, you know, I kind of consider myself a, a general business consultant via technology Um, I try not to to be a technologist first. I try to be a problem solver first and then, um, you know, use the tools and resources uh, that I have to to get there. Um, So that's kind of a general overview of my uh, consulting uh, role. Now, can I ask, do you work for yourself? Do you work for an organization? I I do. I work work for an organization. I work for a small consulting shop out of Tulsa. We're all remote. Um, They're called CS3 Technology. They're a bunch of great guys to work with. Um, we, we just have projects going on all over the country, and um, due to the modern miracle of technology, I'm able to, to connect with folks all the way from Washington to Florida uh, via the miracle of the Internet. So, Isn't it amazing? I love that, too. Yep. I love working. I love to be able to work remotely as well. I don't always do it, but I love to do it when I can. It's great. Okay, now what about, what about let's go talk about the running coach next. You're a running coach. And right. When did you start running? Um, I started running in 2010, I'm sort of in the midst of 
a divorce and a, a life that seemingly the, the, a thread was being pulled and, and unraveling and I didn't have any way to stop it. And there was just something that called me to, to lace up my running shoes and go out on the road. Sounds like a healthy way to respond to in the personal and emotional crisis that we know divorce is. Correct. Wow. Now, for me, I've been running, I hate to say it because people, this will date me. I've been running for 35 years. I'm happy that my knees still allow me to do it. We'll see how long it lasts. Mm -hmm. But now you're also a running coach. How'd that happen? Um, you know, it was in the wake of the accident that I was literally sitting around. And, and as I had started to gain enough mobility and, and you know, cognizance to try to figure out um, and plot what was next, I happened to be sitting online when an email came through for an advertisement for um, a class to, to go fly down to Houston and, and take a class. And I, I asked my family if they would float me the money. And I, I got a positive response and signed up, signed up on a whim and flew to Houston that very next weekend and, and went down and you know did all the credentialing that I had to do. And I just put myself out there and started coaching new runners because it's something that I found a real passion and connection with. So you are a man of action, it sounds like. That's what people tell me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Uh, so who do you coach? What kind of people do you coach? How do they find you? Um, so I have a website. It's just you know, brandoncumby.com. You can find me there. Connect with me on a, via a form. Um, I, I get most of my clients via referral, honestly. Someone says, hey, I'm, I want to run this half marathon. Uh, I put on 40 pounds. I need to run it off, that kind of thing. That's, I mainly get my clients via referral. Um, my mix of clients right now, I have a couple of uh, high school uh, age children who are looking to improve their, their running economy and just their overall cardiovascular fitness. I have a couple of uh, colleagues from my, my college fraternity days who are trying to uh, take off the spare tire and, and, and knock off some bucket list items. And then just some people from the general community who have connected with me and, and we've sort of built a relationship. That's awesome. So obviously we're both you and I sitting here in my Dallas office studio. So I'm assuming that you coach only local people or do you also remotely coach? I have two, two clients that are remote. So we do it all via Skype and instant messenger and uh, just send them plans and, and we collect feedback. Again, the internet has made sure that, uh, you know, we can reach as far as we cast our net. Well, how cool is that? Because if this show is, is broadcast all over the world, and I know that I have at least um, listeners in 30 different countries, so you could get a call from Italy. How cool would that be? I'll need to brush up on my Italian, yeah, but it yeah, uh, sounds yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and let's talk about next year's speaking. You're a speaker. Right. What are you talking about? Who are you talking to? You know, I sort of became a speaker on accident. I was, I was asked to speak at a, at a sales kickoff. And, and I thought, how would, how's my story going to inspire and motivate some salespeople to, to, you know, turn up the volume with their numbers. But when I really sat down and boiled it down to what it is that, that people are looking for, it's just something that motivates them. And how do they find that motivation within themselves? And I, I went and did my, did my gig and I, and I just got a flood of response that said, you know, when I sit up there and look at your story and see the pictures of before, during, and after, and you just talk about the persistence and the resilience that, that you found within yourself during all this personal and emotional and physical crisis that you went through, I peeled back enough layers to find out that there was no excuse that I couldn't you know, give a little bit more, dig a little bit deeper, put in an extra hour here and there, make that next sales call. And I never thought in a million years that I would connect with people in that way, but 
the response has just been overwhelmingly positive. People have been, you know, benefiting from from me telling my story, and so I I felt compelled to share it. It is an amazing story, and listeners, when we get to that part of the show, you'll be dumbfounded, I suppose. It's it's remarkable. So we'll get there. Um, but before we do, the last thing that we, we talk about in, in terms of what you're up to these days is a philanthropist. How, how is that working? What does that mean to you? Well, I'm really trying to focus on causes um, that are you know, near and dear to my heart, personal. I'm trying to um, focus locally with, with you know, small efforts. Some of, the, some of the causes that I care deeply about are, are just providing for folks that may be underprivileged, underserved. I know that's a, a real hot button, but... I think about it in terms of what I can do on a daily basis. I've, in the past several years, I've, I've used my social media reach to, to get friends to donate gift cards, backpacks, uh, time, dollars. And, you know, something I do over Christmas is I go around and find some of the local homeless, like chronically homeless population, and I'll hand them a backpack with, you know, food, personal care items, a few dollars in cash, a phone number, um, anything I can help them out with, you know, numbers to shelters, an offer to drive them to some place they need to go to connect with family members. Um, I certainly feel like that, that to me, um, based on everything I've been through, is that there's not a safety net for enough people. Um, people who find themselves in situations that they didn't necessarily cause, but they don't see a way out. Um, I was extremely fortunate during all my ordeal to have a really wonderful safety net in uh, the public health system as well as my family. And I just can't imagine if you're in a situation to where you don't see a way out, if you don't have a safety net, where do you go? So yes. those are, those are some of the things that are, that are near and dear to me. I mean, my, I call myself a philanthropist because I've, I've pledged that anything that I, I make from this endeavor, I'm going to immediately turn around and give it back to these kinds of causes. I'm involved with several local nonprofit boards and trying to affect the same kind of um, grassroots. What can I do today? with the resources I currently have to affect some sort of change on the community and, and people that are underserved. Of course, you know, I think that's amazing. I've spent a lot of years in my life trying to be part of some community service effort. And I know one of the things that really brought us together, frankly, is that you called me because Jorge Nami said that I knew something about the YMCA here in East Dallas. And I do because I was on their board for years and served as their chairman. Um, and that was a cause that spoke to you as well. Why the yes. YMCA? Well, I just think it dovetails in quite nicely with what it is that I you know, personally believe in. You, and forgive me for getting a little bit of on a, on a soapbox here, but I just don't think that you, know, you have an a underprivileged population and without access to um, healthy food, healthy role models. And at least in the YMCA, you have an outlet for um, a child who necessarily can or cannot afford it to be able to walk in those doors and, and find um, athletic performance, find physical fitness. And, you know, that sometimes is a, is the only road out um, for, of a, of a generational poverty is to, you know, either be an athlete, um, but also just the team building and the, personal discovery that you go through in athletic performance and conditioning that I just think that that's something that everyone deserves a chance to have access to physical fitness and health. That's why I think the YMCA's mission is, is so important to our local community as well. 
I would agree, and I've loved the, I don't know how many years, six plus, eight plus years, whatever it was that I was involved in, was happy to facilitate that connection. We'll talk offline about how that's going for you, but um, next, what I wanted to talk about, if we can, I re- first, what we were doing there is I wanted people to understand what you're up to today, Right. and this is after your accident, which I believe happened in 2012, right? Correct. Okay. So what I'd like to understand next, if you, if you will, is understand a bit about your path prior to 2012. So I know you have a mathematics degree. And I think you were in wireless sales for a while and did really well at that. So talk to us a bit about kind of some of the, the key events in your life, especially professionally, that happened before the accident in 2012. Right. So I'm going to going to correct you on, on one thing there. I actually, I, I was pursuing a math math degree. Uh, I, went to, I went to SMU first. It was kind of my first student at college. I'm also a statistical anomaly in the fact that I, um, you know, went to school. Uh, both my parents had high school level education and, um, you know, I was the first one in my nuclear family to go to a traditional college and, and earn a degree, but it took me two tries and I didn't graduate until I was 28. My first stint at university, I did three years in and I just, I never found my niche. I wasn't, I don't think I was quite cut out for, um, all of the pressures of being on your own and, and just the lifestyle change. So I found myself at 21 with, um, you know, racking up debt, trying to go to school and thinking that I didn't even know what I wanted to do. And I was going to find myself a hundred thousand dollars in debt with, with no clear path. So I just quit. And at the time, the folks close to me thought that it was just the, the dumbest decision I could have made. But um, honestly, I, I just went to work, put my head down, and I spent the next six and a half years working my way up from a you know hourly retail position to uh, management and sales and, and, and retail account management, relationship building, and those types of things. And I learned in that time that it really was you know all about building relationships, connecting with people, and that I wanted I wanted my my next chapter to. Um, to really be about, you know, strengthening some of the skill sets that I, I just had not built at that time. So I sort of, I sort of worked my way uh, to the point that I felt like I was ready to go back to school, and I landed on accident um, in an accounting class where I did really well. So I, my second, my second chapter sort of chose me instead of me choosing it. Cool. I love it when it happens like that. Yeah. So I was sitting in a cost accounting class and I thought, I understand all of this. And where was this all my life? At UTD. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah right. exactly. I was like, oh, this makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. So then I, I did that. So you went into a professional services firm and consulted for a while. Correct. I um, graduated from UTD 2008, uh, summa cum laude. I was, I was very proud of that because you know, my previous stint through, through college, I mean, statistics just show that if, if you don't leave high school, go get your degree and start working in some sort of professional environment. If you end up in a service industry or some sort of blue collar job, then that's kind of where you stay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I vowed when I left at 21 not to let myself become that statistic. So I ended up working in a professional services firm. I was the only one in my class to get tapped to go work at this, you know, one of the largest employers in the world. And I you know, did that gig for a few years. And then I found myself, you know, working these crazy long hours. I mean, certainly the work was rewarding and I loved it, but 50, 60 hour weeks, week on end, I found myself with uh, the 
35, 40 pounds overweight, not sleeping right, unhappy, just thinking surely there has to be something else than this. Something that I think a lot of the listeners are sitting there nodding their heads to right now. Yeah, that sounds, I can, re- I can resonate with that. That, yeah, that's my story. Yeah. It, right about the same time that, that I came upon, um, the, the realization that I was looking for something else, the rest of my life started to unravel. I started to go through a divorce and that's right about the time that I put on my running shoes and laced them up for the first time. Wow. Well, perfect way for us to segue here because we've been talking a bit about your your previous life before the accident. Let's go ahead and take a quick break here. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Brandon Cumby, who is a consultant, speaker, running coach, and philanthropist focused on sharing his own story of struggle, persistence, and triumph after surviving electrocution. After the break, we're going to get into his actual story, what happened when he was electrocuted and how he actually got through it on the other side. Stay with us. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you ready for a health, life, and empowerment show in one? Then be sure to listen every week for Living Well with Ann Beal. Ann takes her long-running TV show to the Internet Talk Radio Airwaves with guest experts and insight designed to help you live a healthy and successful life. By hearing from the experts and those who have found success, our goal is that you too will be motivated to do the same. Living Well with Ann Beal can be heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Brandon Cumby, who is a consultant, speaker, running coach, and philanthropist focused on sharing his own story of struggle, persistence, and triumph after surviving electrocution. He joins us today from my Dallas office studio right here with me. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. At this point, I promise to let you hear his story, how this whole accident went down. So that's where we are in this segment here. So, Brandon, let's talk about the event that has literally changed your life forever, August 2012. Tell us the story of how you were electrocuted and suffered the fall that you did. Thank you very much, Elise. Well, first of all, um, before I get too deep in the details of this story, if I were to um, try to piece all this together, that 
all of these separate events were to have happened um, within you know, 10 or 15 seconds of one another, it would be almost statistically impossible. But that's exactly what happened on a Monday afternoon, August the 13th in 2012. Tell me it wasn't a Friday. Nope. It was a Monday. Okay. It was a Monday. So I, I left, I left my, I left my job and I, and I got in the car and my air conditioner on my, on my car had stopped blowing. And I thought, great. It's, it's the middle of August. It's, in Dallas. Uh, uh, it's a, a billion degrees outside. Mm-hmm. So I drove to a friend's house cause I'm kind of handy. And I went over there and said, Hey, can I borrow some tools? Um, I'd love to have your help. And I proceeded to, you know, do some diagnostic and troubleshoot on my, on my car to, to get the air conditioner working. He was actually uh, with another friend of ours who builds um, remote controlled uh, drone type aerial vehicles. And he was flying it behind the house on a golf course. And it was you know, six thirty or seven o'clock. The sun was starting to set and the sun was just at that right angle that, when, when objects were right on the horizon, you sort of lose them for a second. I got finished with what I was doing. I went out back to participate and enjoy the, the, the aerial show. Um, right about that time, he crashed it into the top of a tree. And these guys looked over at me and, and thought, hey, this guy's a runner. He's in shape. Will you go up there and get that out of the tree for us? And I was sort of the one egging him on the whole time, too. So... You know, fly higher, do the, do another flip. I want to see it do some cool stuff. So, you know, typical guy stuff. And that's why, that's why married men live longer is because the women are there to say, stop that. <laughs> really? So, so I caught, just shimmied up the tree and went out to the branch to where it was. And at, at that moment, I sort of looked around and realized that it was much higher than I thought. Um, but undeterred, I scurried out to, to get it. And uh, realized that I, the weight, my weight would not be supported along with the branch. And so I, I dropped back for a second. Another guy who uh, had come outside to watch the show had, had walked into the backyard and caught me up in, his, up in his tree. And he handed me a pool skimmer. Uh, it was at this moment that, that I uh, sort of took a, took a look around and assessed the situation and thought, this will be okay. Looked around, no power lines, nothing else to catch anything on. I began to, to try to knock the helicopter out of the end of the branch and I lost my footing and my hold on the branch. So I started to actually fall out of the tree. And when I caught myself, the, the arm that was holding the pole sort of went up and over my head at 90 degrees and made contact with the um, transmission lines that supply the whole neighborhood with power. Um, and I became connected to it by the end of the, by via, you know, via the aluminum pole connected through me into the tree and it electric and I was electrocuted. It was, uh, it stopped my heart. And at that point I lost consciousness and lost, um, you know, the ability to hold on to the tree. So then I, I fell out of the tree, but I was completely limp and I landed on my face and, you know, completely attitude face down flat on the ground from about 20 to we really don't know exactly how far, but from all guesstimates, no one went back up in the tree to measure, by the way. <laughs> Good. Um, but about 20 to you know, 25 feet up was, was the initial fall. Okay, so you land, you wake up in the hospital. So I'm going to take, a st- take one step back here. So the, this whole sequence of events that I just laid out for you, yeah. um, I don't actually remember. Okay. So the, 
this happened on the on August the thirteenth. The last memory I have is on July twenty eighth. Oh my goodness! It wiped out some of your other memories. Correct. So then the next memory I have is August twenty sixth, and I'm waking up to blackness and the noise of a of a hospital machine beeping and the sound of a ventilator, and that's literally those are the two bookends that that. On the whole accident. That's the my last memory was July twenty eighth, clear as day. To I can remember waking up and hearing the beeping and the ventilator pushing ox, pushing air. Wow! Did you have any idea where you were when you woke up? No, I had no idea. I just I thought that I guess my mind had organized it that I would must have been in a, some sort of car accident. Okay. I asked I asked how if my if I you know if my car was okay if. If any, if everyone else was okay, you know, I really, I was terrified. Honestly, uh-huh. I thought, God, if I, what have I, what if I'm waking up to this reality? What, if, what has happened to me? Yes, yes. So then, what happened? How did you understand? Come to understand what had happened and how you were treated? All those kinds of things. Well, I mean, it took days for me to literally come out of the come out of the drug induced haze that I was under. They had me on so many. Um, you know, opioid type, you know, pain medications and and things to to keep me unconscious. So I, you know, came out of came out of basically a, a coma, and I probably had to hear it a good ten times before I realized that this is this is exactly what happened to me, and to fully grasp the the depth and gravity of my injuries. The pictures on your on your website are phenomenally eerie, and they just, to me, when I look at them, just evoke a, a situation, a scenario, an experience that none of us, few of us, can really ever understand or, or comprehend. It's just, it's really intense to see those photos and what you've come through. You said in our first conversation that somehow people who knew you had been contacted and told to come to the hospital. That's um, correct. And what, what were they told when they got there? Um, well, I mean, this is going to be kind of emotional to retell it, but um, I, I would like to just give it my best shot. It was actually my best friend's birthday. Um, he was at dinner with his wife. Another friend called him, and he called him two or three times. And, he, of course, he's out with his wife, so he ignores the call. And when he finally takes it, he's somewhat annoyed, and he says, look, you have to come to Parkland right now. Brandon's not going to make it. Um, so he called my parents, he called my, you know, other close friends and they all showed up and it was that, that exact moment that they, they showed up, they had me stable. I was in ICU and, uh, Aaron went back to go back to go see me and he was holding my hand and, um, I essentially coded right there again because they had not caught the internal bleeding. So, you know, I, I was electrocuted. It took a while to get a stable beat, and I was out for so long that they were really concerned about how much brain activity was going to be there, and they thought they had me stable because nothing had indicated um, anything else was going on, and then they find out that um, at that exact moment that Aaron shows up, he's holding my hand, he said that, that all the temperature went out of me, and I started convulsing, and he hit the red button, and they all came in, that they knew that I was bleeding internally, and I was bleeding to death, and you know, at that point, my um, they literally wheeled me out in between all the folks that were there to see me, 
and just said, you have about 30 seconds. You need to say bye. And they took me back and, you know, they did overnight surgery on me. And it's like a scene out of a television show. They came out to my family's in the room with a chaplain and the doctor came in and pulled down his mask and said, well, he made it, but we don't know for how long. Wow. You have literally survived something that you weren't supposed to survive. You have been on the other side of life in many ways. Correct. You are standing here to, to be living proof of that. How old are you? I'm 36 years old. 36. That's an awful lot to go through in a short amount of time in, in this lifetime here. And for you to come through the other side and have this to, to, to share and to tell with people, I think it's going to be phenomenal what you do with your life. And I'm so privileged to have you sitting here in my office with me talking about this. It's like, oh, my gosh, Brandon. Thank you for being here. I'm happy to be here in more ways than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> well, let's talk about the recoveries. If, unless there's some other details that are important to your story, let's talk about your recovery. Absolutely. Um, the, the one thing that I can remember from the, from the hospital bed, kind of pre-recovery, mm-hmm. once I was conscious and I was really focused on what happened, where am I at today, um, how, do I, how do I improve my situation, Those were my first conversations with the doctor once I had presence of mind. And two things, actually, not one. Apparently, when I was in my drug-induced state, I continued to um, wake up at at points in time and and sort of babble and talk about how I was late for a race or I was late (laughs) for a running event. And because I had all my running family there around me and... um, you know, so my, my, the people that were around me brought me my handheld water bottle and kind of set it in the bed with me and I could grab it and feel connected to that. And the, one of the only things I really remember hearing from the doctors was that, that I had this hulking surgeon. I mean, he was like six, eight, corn fed, like wore cowboy boots in the, in the, in the hospital. And he was holding on to my foot. His hand just dwarfed my foot and I'm a size 12 foot. And he just was shaking me awake one morning and we were having a chat and he was kept continued to hold on to my foot and he gave me the hardest squeeze and to make sure I looked him right in the eye and said 99 out of 100 times you wouldn't have made it not somebody else but you he's like you need to you know you need to go out and do something with this it was really sort of a call to action that I knew that i but I owed it to myself and him and everyone else that worked on me and, and all the tears that had been shed and the, the toil and the hard work was that I couldn't let it go to waste. So that was really where the kind of story began is that he lit a fire that I had to, that I really just never let, you know, I continually stoked that fire no matter how uh, frustrating or difficult that it got. So what did you have to go through? How long did the recovery take? What was generally involved? Well, um, due to the surgeries that they had performed on me, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't sit up in bed. Um, I had to basically be flat on my back, um, which was probably good for my motivation because I found out that I no longer had the strength to even get my, set myself up in bed. And I, uh, you know, I had... Uh, multiple incision wounds that I could not do anything strenuous at all for months. When I, I think the first time I, rem- I remember getting on a scale outside of the hospital when I was at my, when I was recovering, you know, I was in the 
low 140s hovering on a really, really unhealthy body weight. And just, I couldn't, couldn't hardly eat anything either because uh, the combination of medications and everything I'd been through just, just left my stomach in, in, a, in a wreck. So, you know, here I was, someone who was in the best shape of my life before the accident, 35 pounds heavier, and struggling to do things like feed myself, cook for myself, walk from a recliner to the bathroom six feet away at 33 years old. It's a, it is a stark contrast and a really big wake-up call to how much we take for granted on a daily basis. Isn't that the truth? So the, the recovery just started with me trying to focus on the little things I could do. And it started with as much as me getting up from the, from the chair that I was laying in. To, instead of going to the bathroom today, I'm, I think I'm going to try to walk to the kitchen. Um, instead of waiting on someone to bring me my breakfast, I think I'm going to try to go carry it myself. It really was a just focus on each little incremental step ahead of me. Because that's all I could do. Yeah. How many surgeries did you have? I mean, your facial reconstruction must have been intense in and of itself. It, you know, I, I, was at a, I was at Parkland Hospital, and they did all the work, and it was, it was four surgeries. Okay. It was two internal surgeries, um, a facial reconstruction, and a burn excision. You know, that kind of voltage through a human body leaves, leaves flesh burned. So they had to, it was dead. They had to remove it. You mentioned that you actually, there was the smell of burning flesh on you when they, when they found you. Yeah, the 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 two guys, the two guys that that were there that you know initially rolled me over and pulled the the clog of mud out of my mouth and, and pinched my nose clothes so they could they could do chest compressions on me. They said they couldn't wash it off for days. I, you know, I feel so bad for those guys. The, those aside from the medical professionals, um, you know, the two guys that I was hanging out, my two buddies that were hanging out with me that day. You know, I owe them in ways that I can't even comprehend because they had to see that and experience it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just, I think it's important for our listeners to really understand just the, the true depth of what you had to do to recover and the, the time that it took, the steps that it took, and frankly, the sheer heart and soul and persistence that it took for you to, to actually persevere through that and come through the other side. You know, when I'm in retelling the story, I sometimes I really don't even um, connect with the fact that this is actually something I lived through. It almost feels like I'm telling it from the outside looking in. Um, at least that's how I it's sort of organized in my head. Maybe some of that's uh, self-preservation, not not to get too close to it, because it really. Uh, you know, it's a, it was a trying experience. We want to hear more about this, Brennan. It is such an amazing experience. And we'll finish the last segment with just a bit more about the recovery and what you're up to today. But it is time for a short break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Brandon Cumby, who is a consultant, speaker, running coach, and philanthropist focused on sharing his own story of struggle, persistence, and triumph after surviving electrocution. After the break, we'll hear more about his recovery and just what he's up to today. Stay with us. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. 
Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Want more positivity in your life? Are you ready to get healthy, happy, and energized? Join the Stella Donna Goddess Gals, Cynthia Bryan, and Heather Brittany for a power hour of stimulating, supportive conversation on Star Style. Be the star you are. A lineup of best-selling authors, celebrities, and experts. Join the effervescent mother-daughter dynamic duo in this upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio playground. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, Wednesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Lend us your ears. It's power time. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. If you're just joining us, my guest is Brandon Cumby, who is a consultant, speaker, running coach, and philanthropist. In the midst of a career transition and a divorce, Brandon found passion in running and began training for his first marathon when he was electrocuted and suffered a near-fatal fall with injuries that left him fractured and demoralized. It was during healing and recovery that he found his true North Star in the purposeful way he lives his life today. He joins us today from my Dallas office studio right here with me. Let's pick where we left off and talk more about how it was what was the recovery like, Brandon? Well, I think the, the first thing that was so shocking to me is that, you know, once the, once the doctors had done their test and declared me sort of medically well, and I could, you know, look them in the eye and answer a, and answer a series of questions, and they knew that I was mentally there, and I could stand up and, and get down the hallway with a walker, um, they sort of turned me loose. And just said, "Okay, well, you're you're well again," and I and I knew that was the farthest thing from the truth. But um, from a medical standpoint, you know, no one can really—they're not even prepared for how does a person become that injured and then get back to um, you know where they were. So, thankfully, I'm, I'm so thankful. I, I had fractures in my back, but nothing was actually broken clean through. So I had lots of back pain, but I had full use of my spinal cord. I didn't have uh, my hips weren't broken, my legs weren't broken. I had no besides the, the all the small bones in my face. I really in, in my rib cage, all of my major limbs worked. I had I showed no cognitive cognitive deficits despite being without oxygen for nine minutes. So once they ran through the battery of tests, they sort of just turned me over to my family and said, "You guys figure out what to do next." So the recovery was really just me going home, trial and error. I had to, I I moved in with my grandparents. I couldn't take care of myself. And 
I just started focusing on, you know, trips to the kitchen, trips to the mailbox. Uh, the day I did my first sit up, I cried because they, you know, I, they had cut through my abdominal wall all the way through. I had no strength at all. Couldn't get myself out of bed. Had to be helped out of a chair. Um, again, at 33 years old, physically active male training for a marathon. The weekend before I got hurt, I went and did a 14 mile run. Like it was no problem. So to go from that to that, I mean, that's really, I had to focus on what I could do. I, I, the hardest thing for me to do was to sort to sort of divorce myself mentally and emotionally from where I had been and just focus on where I was at that moment, knowing that I could make incremental improvement. So as soon as I could navigate the house, I distracted my grandparents. I put on a second layer of tape and gauze on my, on my still stapled and stitched wounds and I threw on a pair of basketball shorts and I ran out the front door and took off for a run down the street. And I think I made it about 500 yards before I, um, I collapsed into the yard of a church down the street from their house. And I just laid there in the grass about half laughing and uh, half crying that that's just my new reality. So then I picked myself up, dusted the grass off and walked back. Thought, well, can't run, so I'm gonna walk. So every day, my mom and dad would come over to the house. We'd eat dinner as a family, and then I would grab whoever I could get to be my latest victim to go out around the neighborhood and walk with me a mile. And I dressed in all my running clothes and I put on my GPS watch and I walked around the neighborhood. So where did it come from, Brandon? Where did the motivation to keep putting one foot after the other come from to get through all this? You know, I think it was kind of equal parts naivete. I didn't really, I didn't give in to the notion that that there would be any de- anything I couldn't do. Um, part of it was wanting to test exactly, you know, where the boundaries were. I'm going to go as far as I can go until I can't go anymore, and then that's that's where I know that I can't. Those th- those are my those are the limits that I'm, I'm now impo- that are imposed by not not myself, but by my situation and my, my reality. And it was just that curiosity and the willingness to fail and the willingness to put myself in, in this uncomfortable position to where I was, everything I was doing hurt. Everything that I was doing was uncomfortable. It was emotionally difficult because it just reminded me of how far of everything that I lost essentially. But that process was also extremely freeing because I ran into far more or far less barriers than I thought. It seemed like every time I would try something new, I would either get there or get almost there. And it was equal parts discouraging and and humbling. But it was also something to celebrate because every day was literally some new achievement. How long did this last? So August 13, 2012 to when, when you felt like you sort of had a handle on your life. And I know there's degrees of improvement throughout, but what was the period of time? Well, I do like to push the limit. So I think the period of time where I actually felt like I was well again, I, some people would say it was the next January when I went out and ran my first 5k. Um, but that was miserable. 
I knew I wasn't well at that point, but I pushed myself through it and every second of it hurt. Um, and then about a year later, I, I got a job and I moved out of, moved in into my own place. And I thought, well, this must be it. And then I found myself back in the hospital with complications that very next August, a year later. Um, that was probably the closest it came to breaking because here I was just checking, checking the boxes. Everything I was doing was, was, um, was working. And then here I am back in the ER with tubes in and out of me again, um, with, with no real prognosis except for maybe, maybe more surgery. Uh, it ended up being a dietary change is all it was something that simple. Wow. But again, I don't think it's in any medical textbook that someone has as many injuries as I do. And then they pop back up and start running, mar- running, you know, training for another marathon. I think that the next time that I really, when I really knew that I was well and I was going to be okay was, um, the December of 13, I ran my first marathon. I ran it with two of my friends and, you know, I finished in, a you know, four hours and 52 minutes. So for someone in my age bracket, that's not a, an, a record-breaking or world-beating time, but I mean, I felt like the strongest, fastest person on the planet that that I could even complete it. Felt like a real victory. So, what's amazing to me, listening to your story, is that in addition to all the physical situations that you navigated through, we have to remember two other really important things here. One is that you were going through a divorce when this all went down. So, there's well, the emotional piece. I, I it had just wrapped up. But I mean, it was, it was literally, it seemed, it seemed like it was back to back. Yeah. And then you mentioned something to me. So this is a financial piece. I recall a figure of $71. Yep. That's exactly true. What's the deal with $71? Um, well, when I, probably one of the days closest when I was being discharged, I, my, you know, my parents were in there helping me with my finances and whatnot. And they were trying to figure out how to get my credit card bill paid, my car payment paid, and you know, break my lease on my on my place and move me out so that I wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't further damage any of my credit or anything like that. And I asked her what was left, and she didn't really want to tell me. And I pressed her, and, and the answer was seventy one dollars. So in August or September of twenty twelve, I was literally you know, an amount of debt and had $71. That was, that was my only asset. I wanted to bring that up, Brandon, because I think it's really important that our listeners understand that you weren't just dealing with this horrible physical situation, but you have these other major things happening too: the emotional piece and also the financial piece that contributed to the disaster, the whirlwind that you were in. Um, I think when you put all that together, it really helps listeners understand just how crazy your situation was. The fact that you shouldn't have come through the other side. It, it really was. And I, I alluded to it before, but I had an extremely good safety net. My family and my friends, the local running clubs raised money for me. You know, they handed me cash and just said, um, you know better what you need. Take care of yourself. Get well. Can't wait to see you out here running again. And that's why I, I feel like philanthropy is, is, it's not part of my mission. It is, it is required. So what I also have to ask you, because one, I'm, I'm a meaning in life, meaning in work kind of researcher. I want to really understand how you think this is, this experience has changed you 
and what you want out of your life and your work? Well, that's, that's sort of, that's a tough question in that, you know, I don't think I have all the answers uh, fleshed out yet, but I certainly know that I have to, I have to find some sort of meaning in my, in my work that is um, beneficial to others, um, that is authentic for myself, that is um, purposeful. The, the thought to me that one of the most um, I would say cruelest thoughts that I can think of as someone who is expending all of their hours on something that has no meaning for them because we are all one day away, it seems, at least I try to live my life this way. You know, today could be it. So at least do one positive thing for somebody else a positive thought, a hug, meaning in your work. Time is our most precious commodity. So the thought of wasting it to me is just, it's, it's, it's really cruel. So that's something that I think that is, is really my, my bigger sense of purpose is that I try to structure my whole life, whether from the time that I wake up until I go to bed and I'm not always, I'm not always successful, but I do my very best to make sure that I, follow that and everything I do. Oh my gosh, Brandon. I mean, your story is so compelling. I'm so glad that our paths have crossed. I think it's really amazing that our paths crossed. And of course there's the whole notion of serendipity and whatever the universe is trying to tell both of us here. Um, but what do you want to impart when you're out there speaking, you're on a new chapter now, you've, you've got a whole new lease on life and out of this tragedy, you've got this new purposeful mission based life. Um, you've reinvented yourself in many ways. What is it that you share with audiences? I think the part out, out, absent of the running, absent of um, all the the medical experiences that I've had, and then the physical trauma and all of that. For if if people can't relate to that, which you know people um, can't really relate based on their personal experiences. So when I'm up when I'm up in front of a group talking. The, the thing that people can most relate to is that what I feel anyway is that everyone in some form or fashion is searching for something, something that has meaning to them. And we are so distracted with, you know, paying the mortgage and um, social media and technology that I think sometimes it, we, we lose a little bit of that focus. I think what people can really connect to is that if you're searching for something that you have to find what really, you know, ignites your own passion and you need to make time for it every day. And, and for me, it's, it's running. Um, I, it is a centerpiece in my life. No matter what's happening around me, I always make time to go out for a run and not to say that I think everyone should be a runner, although the benefits are, are many and great, but I really just, I want to challenge people to find what it is that they want to do out of, in their life and really go out and do it and not reckon, not look at these barriers that are in front of them. I mean, if I were to, if I were to have sat there in my grandparents' living room and thought, I have no money, I, 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 I have no health, I have no well-being, I have no uh, vehicle from point A to point B, I, I can't take care of myself, it's obviously hopeless, then I, I could not be here today, you know, enjoying a, a meaningful happy, fulfilling life. So 
you know, I didn't start off with any advantages when I, when my, when I, when my life got put on the reset, I did not start off with any advantages. I started off, you know, completely from square one, from, from square zero. And I just went for it. So I, if any, if someone can connect to that, then that's what I hope to, to, to really share with them. And, and the, the, main the main way that I did it was just focusing on the focusing on what I could do every day you know celebrating my victories the persistence hard work I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I cried due to the sheer physical pain and even when I had that under control the the emotional turmoil of you know being a single newly single 33 year old um, man who wants to have a long fulfilling happy life you know, how do I provide for myself? How do I provide for a partner? You know, those, those things should have derailed me, but they didn't because I just focused on what I could do every day. What an amazing way to finish, Brendan. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure and honor to have you with us on the show today. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's, it's been my pleasure. Um, I hope that just one person out there hearing this uh, benefits. I think we'll get more than one. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, please do visit his site. Um, the pictures are amazing. The stories on the site. He, you can find him at www.brandoncumby.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N-C-U-M-B-Y.com. What an amazing story to share. I'm so grateful that you got to hear it as, as well as I did. Um, we've been talking about purposeful work. And you know what I always like to say? Work is one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.